I'd love to say it's been easy to prepare this measure, and in some ways it has, but in other ways it's been quite a challenge, which I'm sure many of you will not be surprised to hear me say. But I do pray, as um, Steve has prayed, that the Lord will say what he needs to say through me. I pray that the Lord will do what only he can do. I pray that we will be edified and I pray that we will receive the revelations that we need to receive. I ask, Lord, that you be with us, that you would be with me, and as I say, that you will do what only you can do. And I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, the four words that I was given um, to prepare for this message was part of his body. Part of his body. And I kind of thought, well, you know what, that's a bit of a joke. Because when I was at school, I did a number of exams. I got a number of qualifications, but biology was not one of them. And I think that was even after I did a retake, I still didn't have biology. So that I should be standing to talk about parts of his body, um, as I said, is a bit of a joke. But God has a sense of humor. Um, Obviously, he is a spiritual God, but even so, Apostle Paul uses many natural analogies. So for those of you who don't know, we are currently in our sermon series, Identity in Christ. Um, I think there are uh, about 30 messages in all. We're halfway because this is the seventh message. Last week, Steve spoke about uh, the righteousness of God. Um, And obviously, all of this is with a view to us knowing, believing, and understanding who we are in Christ. It's about us believing the truth of what God says about us, as opposed to the lies that the world has told us, or that the past of our lives has said, who we are in Christ. So the question that I'm going to endeavor to answer today is in the context of identity, what does it mean to us as individuals to be part of his body? And some of you may be pleased, some of you may not, but you may be pleased to know that there are three parts to my answer, at least I think there are, it might change as I go along. And if I was going to give it a, a title, it probably would be going back to Eden again. We've had messages through the series which have been about Eden, we've gone back to Eden, but this is going back again. So I'm going to start... Before I get to his body, I'm going to start by looking at or considering a natural human body, because I kind of figure that most of us are familiar with that. Um, Is there anybody who has arrived here today without a human body? No, anybody? Raise your hand if you didn't have one. Okay, that's good. We're all here, present and correct. A simple um, definition of a human body is a whole physical structure of a person. We know that it's complex. As I say, we know that everybody has one. It's God who created the human body. He designed it. And Adam was the first person to have one. He was created. We have been born. I should also say, as I've said, I'm not, I'm not, none of this is medical. There are a lot of medical students here. There are people who are doctors here. So I'm not speaking from that perspective. I'm speaking from a layperson's perspective. Um, but yes, Adam was created. We've all been born with a human body. And our human body is with us for the entirety of our lifetime. It's with us from the, from the beginning to the end, from the date of our birth to the date of our death. Our human body, it grows, it develops, it ages, and it dies. But we need it to be healthy. 
Obviously, there are times, especially as we've heard today, when sickness may come, we may have an accident, there may be wear and tear, or there may be a malfunction. But generally, we want and need our bodies to be healthy so that we can do the things that we need to do to enjoy the life that God has given us. Obviously, there are times where we may need medical intervention, we might need to see a doctor, and we might need a surgeon. The human body is um, made up of many parts. We know that there are external limbs. Um, we've got hands, fingers, toes. Um, we've got things that we can see. We've got a head, body, and a head and a neck. We've got a face and all the various components of that. We've also got internal organs. We've got heart, lungs. We've got liver, kidney, intestines, all sorts of bits and pieces that we cannot see. But there are also um, a number of systems in our body and systems, complex systems, and just to name a few, we've got a circulatory system, a system that takes the blood around the body. We've got a nervous system, which um, does many things. It's a very important and crucial part of us, enables us to sense things, feel things. There's a lot of instruction that goes through. We've got a respiratory system. We're able to breathe. We've got a digestive system so that we can process food. We've got a skeletal system, on which, it, which is the framework on which everything hangs. And we've got a muscular system that obviously gives us power and enables us to move and do various things. And there are lots of systems, I'm sure, that, I could, that other people can, can name, but they are um, some of them. But of all the limbs and members that we have, they are pieces that are combined with others that make up a whole. And as I say, there are pieces that God created and these pieces are placed in our bodies in different places. They're located in, in different areas. But they are specifically put there for a reason. And that's the reason that the, the creator has designed. He has determined where they go. But all our limbs and members are in close proximity. Obviously, depending on how tall you are, some, well, whatever size you are, some pieces are closer together than others. Your toes are far from your head. Um, other things inside might be a lot closer together. But they're in generally, in the context of our body, they are all the limbs, all the members, all the aspects, they're in close proximity. They're all connected. And as I say, all of our limbs, all of our members, all the parts of the body, all the parts that go into making up the whole, they're with us throughout our lifetime. They endure. They also perform their own functions, their own individual and specific functions. But they work in harmony with and alongside each other. They're also active. They participate in enabling the whole to be one. And it's fair to say, well, I suppose a summary of that would be to say that a part, to be part of a human body is to be part of a whole. It is to be a component, a piece, that's located in close proximity to other parts, undertaking a specific and individual role or function. But it works in harmony, not fighting with others. And it's all to effect a common purpose. That to be a piece, to be a component, is to be only a piece. Any one of our limbs is, limbs is not the entire body. Your torso may be called a body, but the, the whole thing together with all the limbs, everything is the whole body. Each piece is only a fraction. Each piece is only some of it, not all of it. The individual pieces also make up a whole. They might be a part of, but they make up a whole. If you have a piece, you imagine a pie, you have a whole pie here, you take a piece of the pie and you put it over there. It's a piece that goes away from, it's a piece that's separated from. Whereas a part, when we're talking about parts, we're talking about the whole part that comes together. Pieces, the pieces of the body, the, the components of the body, the limbs, they don't separate the body, they work together with the whole body. 
And as I say, they actively participate, contributing to the whole for the entirety of our lifetime. In many parts of our body, there are two pieces. We have two arms, we have two, two legs, we have two eyes. They work together, they support one another. Scripture says where, two, where there are two together, it's good to have two because if one falls down, then the other one can help them up. If you've ever lost the use of one arm, I'm sure you're grateful that you've got another one. If you've not been able to see in both eyes, if one eye goes bad, you've got another one. Hearing, if you can't hear in one ear, it's great that you've got another one. It's better if you can hear through both, but at least you've got two. They can support one another. We know that with our bodies, there are not dislocations unless something has gone wrong. We don't see pieces of the body wandering around the streets because the limbs are attached. It's only if something's gone wrong that a piece has to be dislocated, and that would be, or disconnected, um, but that would be, um, unless it's an accident or a very serious accident, it would be under a surgeon. It would be something that is, has been thought about, it's something that has been designed. The head also has a very important role in our body in that this is the nerve center, the control center. Most of our limbs, I'm sure, I mean, a doctor can probably tell you more, but the control center is very important. The things, the body is instructed by the head. If you have a head injury, things tend to go wrong. So the head is very important. And we know also that if you need a transplant of anything, usually um, it's, it's over time, and usually it is where there has been consideration given as to where the transplant is coming from and where it's going to ensure that there is a match. Bits of the body, members of the body, different organs don't just wander around and think, well, I'm going to go and attach myself here or I'm going to go and attach myself there because I don't like it here or I don't like it there. Aren't we pleased that we haven't got three legs? Aren't we pleased that somebody else's leg hasn't come over here or somebody else's arm hasn't you know, joined itself to us? Um, but when we think about the body of Jesus, or his body, I am talking about the body of Jesus. Obviously, this is, the, this is identity in Christ. It's identity in Christ. It's all about being connected to him. But his body, we can refer to his body um, in many ways. We can refer to his body, for example, as a temple that's holy. We can refer to it as bread. Think of life. It can be described as being alive, broken, dead, resurrected, um, holy, as I've said. But yes, it is the body of Jesus. And when I think about his body, I tend to think about his body that was broken for me. I tend to think about the sacrifice that he, the, the sacrifice that he made. I tend to think about the price that he paid for my sins. When I think of his body, that's what I tend to think about. And we know that um, when he was with his disciples at the Last Supper, he introduced, the, he introduced um, communion and he used the bread to say, take, eat, this is my body. And while he was um, in the midst of his um, ministry, he actually said, I am the bread of life. So he used bread to talk about his body. That was the analogy that he used. He was the true bread. He was the true manna from heaven. When, we, when they were, the children of Israel were in the wilderness, um, God supernaturally provided for them, and he rained down manna. So when they went out of their, their tents where they lived, um, there was the manna each day on the ground, and they were able to take that, and they were sustained for some 40 years. When Jesus came, he said, well, I am the true bread. I am the true bread from heaven. I give you life. I'm the bread of life. But it's not temporary. It's eternal. It's forever. So he refers to himself as bread. He also refers to himself as a temple, refers to his body as being a temple. In John 2, 19, he says that if you destroy this temple, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. 
But in verse 21, we're told that he's talking about the body, his temple as a body, his body as a temple. The people around him didn't understand that that's what he was saying, but he was talking about a temple, and a temple we know is holy. And those are the things that Jesus said. It's what I, how I would describe his body, he told us what he would say. But we also have what Apostle Paul says about his body. And he says, in Ephesians 1, to 23, he says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him, i.e. Jesus, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So after Pentecost, Paul speaks of the body of Jesus as being the church. And of course, it's after Pentecost. And it begins to make more sense when you think of, when you go to the Old Testament and you think of the Feast of Ingathering, the Feast of first fruits, and you think of the Feast of Weeks. At the beginning, they, used to, they, had, they had two harvests. There was one in the spring and one in the autumn. And in the spring, at the, 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 as things began, the barley harvest began to come up, they would take the, the, the barley, um, the crop, and they would present it to the Lord, and it would be presented in, in its natural form. And that's what they would offer to him. But when they got to the end of the harvest and they had gathered everything in, they would present to the Lord. They would process that, that, um, the, the crop, they would make the flour, and then they would present to him loaves of bread. And the loaves of bread signify the church. And this is why we have Pentecost. Um, at the time of Pentecost that we celebrate now, it's about the church. This was the loaf of bread. And I don't know if many of you remember that we had communion some time ago, and I had brought God a loaf of bread. And we talked about that loaf of bread. We talked about the wheat being in the field. We talked about it um, growing as it did. And we talked about it being, being harvested and processed and turned into flour. And that flour that would then become um, a loaf of bread. And that represents us. We are like the wheat. We are like the crop that is growing. And we are, being, we are going to be harvested, but we are going to be made into, we are going to be made into what effectively a loaf of bread not, if, not literally, but using the analogy, we are to be one, we are to be a whole, we are one body. The scripture speaks of us being one body, one loaf. When we have communion, this is exactly what we're doing. We are partaking of that one loaf. And in its own way, we, we are part of his body when we do that. There is something special that comes from um, being part of the church, part of his body. You can be in a club part of a club. You can go and pay your membership fee. You can be in a team and you can feel the dynamic that comes from all of everyone being together. Um, the, the, the sum of the, the whole is greater than the sum of the individual parts. And that's very true. But there is something more significant when we are the body of Christ. There is something very, very real, very, very special. And even Paul says it's a mystery to, to explain these things. But when we partake of that loaf, we are connecting, we are saying, speaking of the connection that we have with God, but we're also speaking of the connection that we have with one another. We are speaking of fellowship. We are part of his body when we take, when we partake of communion. We are part of his body. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. That is one way in which we partake of his body. We belong to God. We belong, we, we belong to God and we have fellowship with other believers. We are part of him and part of each other. We are members 
of his body. Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 22 says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We sung the song, Resurrender. She spoke of a temple, we're being built up, we're being fitted together. And one of the things that the Romans were very good at doing, although they would have used slaves to do it, was turning stones. So the buildings and the constructions that they made would look like they were of one piece, but they were actually stones that had been turned together so much that they rubbed and they became smooth and the shapes fitted together perfectly. We are being built up together into a holy temple. So we have the analogy of bread, but we also have the analogy of the temple. And we know that iron sharpens iron. We are part of his body. We are here together. The church itself obviously is worldwide, but we are here in a local assembly. And we are in the place where God has put us. We're in the place where he decided he wanted us to be. We might think we chose to be here, but God knew exactly what he was doing when he moved each person and each piece here. Because we all, we all are necessary to the body. We might be part of this system or that system, but we're all necessary. As I say, the head is important. Colossians 1.18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Jesus is the head of the body, and all the parts of the body should be taking their instructions from the head. As I say, members of the body don't just decide where they're going to be. They don't decide, I'm going to go over there because I actually like that body better, or I prefer that one over there. You know, God has decided where he puts us, and and what he wants us to do. And we need to respond from the instructions that come from the head. Ephesians 1.22, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. He has dominion. He has all authority. The actual phrase, um, members of his body, comes from um, the letter to the Ephesians. And in that letter... Um, Apostle Paul was teaching in this particular section, he was teaching about marriage. He was teaching about marriage. He had been speaking, he was obviously the Corinthian church was a young church, a young fellowship, a young congregation, and they needed to understand a lot of things. So Paul was setting out the things that they needed to do and how they needed to live. And he gets towards the end and he starts talking about how people are to relate to one another, how husbands are to relate to their wives, how children are to relate to their parents, how servants are are to relate to their masters. And when he's talking about marriage, um, he explains a number of things. Wives, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. It's 22 to 23. He tells the wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head. He tells them to be subject to their own husbands in everything, as Christ is to the church. He tells them to respect their husbands. He tells husbands to love their wives. And he says to them, verse 29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And the key part there is, for we are members of his body. We are of his flesh and of his bones. And for those of you who are familiar with your Bibles, you may recall that somebody else speaks of flesh and bones. This Adam speaks of flesh and bones. When Eve is brought to him, he says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So in trying to explain the way that marriage is supposed to work, Paul uses the analogy of the church. He's saying this is how you should be. And he's using the analogy of the relationship between Christ and the church to explain how this is supposed to work. But equally, as he's going along, he suddenly begins to say, but this is the church. This is the church. And it, takes on a, it doesn't take on a natural form, but there's a natural analogy that goes back to the Garden of Eden. And so we go back to the Garden of Eden. At verse 15, we can see a number of things here. Verse 15 of Genesis 2, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And what we can see here is that Adam was made first. We, many of us, well, we know this. Adam was made first. He put him in the garden to tend and keep it. So he gave Adam a job. He gave him his purpose. He gave him a role to undertake. He also gave him an instruction. We know it's the instruction that they didn't manage to keep. But then the Lord God says, it's not good that man should be alone. So he's given him a role. And then he's thought about his companionship. He's on his own. He's going to make him a helper. And he makes him a helper comparable to him. So the person that he makes is made for a purpose. The purpose is to help him to fulfill his role. The person is comparable to him. The person that he makes is similar to him. Not the same. He doesn't make another man. He makes somebody similar to him. Similar to him in many ways, no doubt in form, but slightly different. Similar in terms of mental capacity, emotional capacity, similar. God had already said, let us make man in, in our own image. He's now making um, another person, a helper, that is comparable to Adam. And out of the ground, he then forms all of the beasts, of all the beasts, all the birds, and so on and so forth, all the cattle. Then he causes a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And I think, again, that he takes a rib. So we have Eve is coming out of Adam. She is coming out of his body. And not forgetting that this is an analogy to the church, Christ and the church. The church comes out of Christ. It comes from him. And there are perhaps many ways to think of that. Um, one of the ways is the fact that he was a seed that went into the ground and died. And from that, obviously, we come. We have us as a body. We have the church worldwide. We are aware that um, when he died, when Jesus died, his side was pierced. The rib comes from the side. So we have this analogy that Eve comes out of, Eve, the bride, the bride, the church, comes out of Adam. She is the rib. And the, uh, you know, even that it's the rib, the fact that in the natural, our rib cage is in position to protect us. It's to protect certain organs, to protect vital organs. It is there to support the body, to support the frame. It has a job to do, a function. 
It's a rib. Out of his body, woman is formed. Adam says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So we have that there is a role. The bride was formed with a role in mind. She was created for a purpose. The church is created for a purpose. She was created to help, and she was created to be a companion. The church has been created to help with a function, and it has been created to be a companion for the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is his body, and the church is also going to be his bride. We are a work in progress. We are not yet perfected. We will get there by the grace of God, but we are not yet perfected. So then just thinking, bearing all that in mind, it is thinking about, um, there's a passage in um, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, that speaks of a number of things, that as we are the body, it it speaks of how a body should be. We are the, the church, we are the bride of Christ. But 1 Corinthians 12 goes on, it says, For as the body is one and has many members, But all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. The church is many members, but we are one body. We are one. And there is to be unity in that oneness. We are to put aside our own ideas. We take our instructions from the head. We're here to do what God needs us to do because he has created us. We are out of his, we are out of the, out of, we're from his body. And he has designed us for a purpose. We are a church for a purpose. For by one spirit, verse 13, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink of one spirit. All are welcome. We are baptized into Christ. At the time we are baptized, we are baptized into the body of Christ. We are part of him. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter what your background is. We all have equal access. For in fact, the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Now that's a negative comparison. No, it's not. The foot is part of the body. We can all think, well, I don't do it like him and I don't do it like her, so I'm less than. But that's not how it is. In the body, we all have equality. We're all there to do what we are there to do. And it's important that we fulfill the role and the function that we are to do. Don't compare yourself to other people. And think, well, you know, that's not, I'm, not, I'm not good enough. That's not what the scripture is saying. That's not what the Lord is saying to us. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? No, that's not true. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If, if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? As I say, we are designed to be different. We weren't designed to be the same. We are similar We look similar, but God clearly likes difference because none of us is exactly the same. We may have things in common, but we are all individual and we are all unique. But God has created us to be that way. He's also given us specific gifts, different gifts. Every one of us has a gift. You may not know it, you may not recognize it, but we all have a gift. And we need to acknowledge that even though we might not see Fred doing something, doesn't mean Fred doesn't have a gift. It might not be the gift that we expect or want him to have at any particular time, but he has a gift. We just have to recognize what that is and wait for it to be revealed to us, but we've all got a gift. So don't think that you are worthless 
Don't think you are not significant. You have a role to play. You have a specific function. If you don't know, you will, it will become clear. Seek the Lord. Ask him, what is it that you've called me to do? What did you create me to do? Because I know you've given me a purpose. You made me for a purpose. You made me for a reason. There's something for me to do here. I am part of the body. But God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. As I said, it's he who decided that we should be here. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. No room for pride, no place for pride. The body works as one. I don't know, my body tends not to fight against itself. I know there are situations where people have sickness, people have illness, and perhaps blood cells will fight against each other. But that's because there's an infection. That's because something has got in the way. That's because something has gone wrong. But generally, our body is at harmony. Our body is at peace. And we, as a body of people, as a body of Christ, need to be, should be, at peace and in harmony with one another. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, so we're all needed. Some people are strong, some people are loud, some people are up front. Not everyone is the same. Some people are in the background, but God sees, God knows, he made us all for significance, for the part and function that we're supposed to have. And those members of the body which we think to be less honourable, on these we bestow greater honour, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honour to that part which lacks it. He is the person who decides and determines whether we are his good and faithful servant. Have we done what he asked us to do? Or have we been that limb that wandered here, there and everywhere? If you think about a chicken, well... You know, a chicken loses its head, and what does it do? It runs around, apparently, for some time before it eventually falls. So if we become disconnected from the head, if we don't take our instructions from the head, what do you suppose we're doing? We're running around like headless chickens. So we need to remain connected to the head and take the instruction from there. And perhaps if you find yourself running around like a headless chicken, you might just want to stop for a moment and reconnect with the head. Lord, what is it I've missed here? Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed those in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues, he likes variety. He has different roles. We're not all called to the same thing. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? No. But we need to be doing that thing which he has called us and gifted us to do. Verse 31 says, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Now, there is some scholars say that that verse that says, but earnestly desire the best gifts, we read it and we think, well, okay, I'm going to go. I need to be a, a prophet or an apostle or I need to speak in tongues or whatever we think that best gift is. But apparently it could be that Apostle Paul was saying, but you are desiring the best gifts. You're not actually thinking quite right because I'm going to show you a more excellent way. It's not about those gifts that are going to bring attention to yourself. It's not about those gifts that are going to say, whoa, look, she did a great job there. She prophesied every week she speaks. That's not what it's for. It's for the prophet of all. He's given us gifts for the purpose, for the, pur for the prophet of all. 
It's for the purpose of edifying the church. We are supposed to be building one another up, not tearing each other down, not competing. We're in the body comfortably, calmly, in our place. We're part of his body. But in the same way that Eve had a role and a function along with her, she was a helper. She was made to help. She was made to be a companion. So who she was and what she did were kind of all together. I will make him a helper comparable to him. The two go together. Because she's not just a member of his body. She wasn't just the rib that that came out and and was made there. But she had a role and a function. The two things go together. But I'll show you a more excellent way. And the more excellent way he shows us is love. He goes into his, his expounding on love. Love that suffers long. Love that is kind. Love that does not envy. Love that does not parade itself and is not puffed up. It's not about pride. It's not all about us. We're just a piece of the pie. We're a part of a whole. He speaks about um, not, not, not holding, love suffers long and is kind. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. Love doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Love, he speaks even in the book of Ephesians where he's talking, he's gone on to talk about marriage, but he speaks about walking in wisdom, walking in love, bearing one another's burdens. As I say, we are a work in progress where none of of us are the finished article. The only one who is finished is Christ. So we need to give each other a break. You know, the balance between we have a responsibility to be doing what we're here to do, but we also have a, we need room to grow. We need to allow each other room to grow and accept that we are not perfect, but then neither are you. So my expectations of you cannot be that you must be like, you know, 100% all the time because we're not there. We are not perfect. We are the body of Christ and members individually. We are individual. We are many, but we are also one. I think that one church has a... I don't know, a particular gift, a particular gift, a particular significance. Because before we were one church, there were two Elim churches, and one of them became called one church when it was on its own. But God has brought things together so that we are now two churches that have become one. This is marriage. In the same way that, that Paul speaks of this mystery, Christ and the church, two churches have become one. This is about unity. This is about union. It's about a special relationship. And as I've said many times, shared many times to different people, the name One Church comes from John 17, 21, which speaks of John 17, 21. It says that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So the, the, this is Jesus praying for his disciples And he wants everyone, he wants the believers. Well, he's praying for all believers here. He's prayed for the disciples and he's praying for all believers. And he wants us all to be one. And he speaks of the relationship that he has with the Father, I in you and you in me. And he wants them, us, to be in them as well. It's got this dynamism, this intimacy, that this is what he's wanting. But he says that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. There is a purpose in the oneness. It is a witness to the world that God's love is true, that God's love is real. 
We have a purpose. We have a responsibility to love one another and to love one another well. That the world will see and believe that you sent me. The world will believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the Son of God. There is the purpose right there. It's not about us. We are a piece of the pie, a piece of the whole, a part of the body. And we need to do our bit. So I will end by saying that far from simply meaning that we belong, that we are a part of his body, to be part of his body means that as a collective, we have a special bond. We have a special union, such as the marriage relationship. And we have that bond with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the relationship that we have with him as his bride, as the church, is a special one. It's different to any other relationship that exists. Apostle Paul says it's a great mystery. It is hard to explain. But more than that, derived from that, derived from that union, derived from that bond and that special relationship, there are a number and variety of specific, different and individual roles and responsibilities that are vital for each and every one of us to fulfill. So we belong, we are part of his body, not just any body, but his body. We are significant, we are necessary, we are needed, we have a purpose, we've been created on purpose, for a purpose. This is your identity in Christ, this is what makes you part of his body. Amen.